Hey, it's Lisa here. I am so glad that you are joining us again today. So in this episode, you're going to hear from my new friend, Jay Kim, a young entrepreneur who has built a successful restaurant business here in Austin, Texas over the past decade with plans to open his seventh location in the coming year. Remarkable for sure, but as much as he's proud of his success, it is his little sister Michelle that he credits for his accomplishments, and it's her memory that keeps him focused on what matters most. And as little sisters do, she is great at keeping his ego in check. She's very critical. I... You know, she's the type of person who would say, uh, hey, Jay, you know, type of person that would say, hey, stay humble. Okay. And she, she, she kept you in check. She, she did at all times. <laughs> this is Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. And I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Hi, my name is Jay. I'm the founder and CEO at Chilantro here in Austin, Texas. I started my business in 2010, and we are going into our 10th year next year in February. Seven locations all throughout Austin, and uh, we're opening one more hopefully next year or late this year. So uh, come and check us out. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Talk about grief, uh, gratitude, and all the things that, that, you know, it's in my journey. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I love it. I love that you use the word journey because that's really how I think about grief. I think sometimes people think about grief as a period or a moment or as long as FMLA lasts or, you know, whatever that yeah. time is. And as you said, I think it's really a journey. So for our listeners, we'll know that I tend to start each of these conversations asking folks about what were their earliest memories, maybe in childhood, of grief or loss? Who was the griever or were you grieving? And really in the context of what was your family's culture or spiritual or practical practices around grief that you can now reflect on as having informed how you showed up in this period of your life for the story that we're going to uncover here in a little bit? Sure. Uh Honestly, I don't know how to, how I would approach this, but I, I was born and raised in Korea, moved to the States when I was 11 years old. And during that time, my mom and dad got separated. So uh, mm-hmm. my mom decided to come to the States uh, with me and my sister. Uh, and we grew up here. Uh, I had a fairly great childhood when I was growing up in Korea. Uh, when I came to the States, it was just a culture shock. Uh, I didn't know how to speak English. Uh, I was just a foreigner. And I remember going to McDonald's and not knowing what to order. So, you know, that type of uh, environment, um, I think, started to shape me who I was as a teenager. So, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm an introvert at heart. So, you could imagine just the challenges of being an introvert, not being communicative, and 
and, and starting over in a new environment. That's right. In some ways, that kind of story of, of you know, being an immigrant, moving to a new country, uh, my dad is an immigrant as well. He sometimes speaks about that as a sense of loss, too, even when the family's hopes are about, you know, he came here for a good reason and he wanted to study space science and that's yeah. what he did. Yeah. So even though the reasons for coming were great, there was a loss in leaving. Do sure. you think that was something you witnessed, even though your mom made the choice to move your, you and your sister here, that there was a sense of loss for her leaving behind and, of course, leaving behind your dad? Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they got separated and then we came to the States in 1996 and, you know, there was an IMF, uh, International Monetary Fund in Korea, which led to our financial setbacks. So, you know, prior to that, you know, our family felt like we had, you know, enough. Uh, we were comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I saw my mom starting to, to go work at restaurants, at, at random places. So, uh, you know, th- that type of things kind of impact you as a kid. Um, yeah. y- you know, all that. So yeah. Yeah. being an immigrant and then having financial issues, uh, yeah. I think all those were um, moments where kind of, you know, started to shape me, yeah. who I was. And uh, at, at certain times, I need to get out of that. I need to overcome those issues that I had a, 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 as a child. Mm-hmm. But uh, those th- that type of childhood was, you know... Really informed how you've, right. how you've become. And you mentioned so, and you mentioned your sister, who we're going to be talking about a little bit today. And I know her name was Michelle. Yeah, was she your younger sister or older? Yeah, she's Young, a younger sister. She's a younger sister. Yeah. Okay. Uh, How much younger? Four years. Okay. Younger. Yeah. Okay. So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about Michelle and and to the degree that you want to share the story of Michelle's journey and and what led you led you to be on this episode. I do want to preface to say. As much as you want to share about that journey, we would love to hear. And I think we live in a culture with reality TV and a lot of voyeurism. So this question isn't about inviting you to give salacious details. This is really about being vulnerable and authentic about what you went through. Sure. And before we have you talk a little bit about what Michelle's illness and, and loss journey was like, I'd love for you to give me a couple of qualities about Michelle that if she were sitting right here, she would want you to describe her as. <laughs> Not how Big Brother wants yeah. to describe her as, but like how would you want, how would she want you to describe her? That's a tough one, but that's a great question too. Uh, you know, she's a hard one. <laughs> she's very critical. I, she, you know, she's the type of person who would say, uh, hey, Jay, you know, type of person that would say, hey, stay humble. Okay. And she, she, she kept you in check. She she did at all times. <laughs> uh, and she would only compliment if I deserved the compliment, which is hard, right? So that's the type of person that she was. She was really hard on, on herself. She, she was more of a... Uh, perfectionist, okay. I would say. Yeah. But those are also great traits, too, because, yeah. you know, when we're growing up, uh, you know, I wasn't much 
you know, I wasn't a good student, but she was. Yeah. She made sure that my mom doesn't worry about her. Okay. Right? She was uh, the responsible she sibling. Was the, she was the responsible sibling. She went to UC Berkeley, where I just couldn't even imagine going to school like that. She wanted to experience it all. Yeah. Like, she was involved in school. She was in, uh, you know, ASB, like, student body. So, yeah, she wanted to partake in... And everything, and she went after that. So it sounds uh, like she was kind of really voraciously living life. She was really kind of tenacious and went after what she what she wants. Yeah, she did, uh, even in her teens. Uh, so I remember uh, we were just watching video. Uh, you know, my mom and my wife who we were watching video of her, and she was a better athlete than I was. Uh, how did that we go, watching. Big Brother? How did, how did you <laughs> feel loved, about that? Okay, yeah, I loved yeah. sports, and I thought I was good, and I never thought that my sister was a good athlete, but she was. Uh, just yeah. looking at, she was so active, and she, she was she was amazing. Uh, great sister. She made sure that I stayed on track. Uh, I love that the little sister makes sure the big brother stayed yeah, yeah, on yeah. track. She, she, that happens a lot. <laughs> I'm identifying because I'm the little sister in my family. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I love that you shared those memories of of Michelle. And one thing I want to even recognize in the, my questions for you, because this comes up for me all the time when, when I'm talking with people about Eric, which is mm-hmm. I really struggle because I vacillated even in asking you the questions, speaking in the present tense and the past tense. Yeah. And I know that can be really difficult. So for our listeners, if you do that for yourselves or when you're talking with somebody you love, it's okay. It's just what happens. It's just hard to transition from the present tense to the past sure. tense. So I just want to name that. So I know you've shared um, a little bit recently. Actually, Jay was featured in Austin Fit Magazine. Our local Austin people will, will know a little bit about um, his sister and her illness and also how you've used exercise as a way to manage the sort of pressure and pain of watching your sister be ill and and pass. So I know we know a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about what you want us to know about your sister's illness and how you, how did it sort of inform your perspective as her big brother watching this experience happen? What did it teach you about yourself, about her, about the world that you maybe didn't know? Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I came on to your podcast to share this story of NF2. Yeah. Um, only few have NF2 uh, in this world, I think, and even United States. And even there are not many surgeons out there that, that perform on M- NF2 patients. Yeah. Uh, so NF2 is a neurofibromatosis type 2, uh, which impacts... Just whole body. Um, uh, tumor starts to grow in your spine cord and the various parts of your body through your veins. Uh, and in my sister's case, uh, it really hit, started to hit her uh, in, in the mid-20s. Okay, which is um, a pretty typical time, as I understand it, for yeah, that particular illness. Yeah, That's right. So she was diagnosed uh, as NF2 when she was 21. So we wow. didn't know about this. Of course. Why would any of us know about this until it happens to you? Right? Yeah, yeah. We knew that some 
some tumor was growing on her, you know, on her arm, but we just didn't see it as a big deal. We, we went to go see a doctor. They said, you know, just remove it when it gets grow, you know, when it becomes bigger. We just didn't know that it, it was NF2. She was fine till then. Uh, she got her first surgery when it was, she was 20, 21, and she's, it was a nonstop from there. Uh, brain surgery. So there are moments of just, what if this is the end? Yeah. What if she doesn't wake up? So you go through all those uh, emotions. Yeah. Uh, so each time you're faced with each yeah. medical decision, each surgery, each intervention, is this the one that might she might not wake up from? Or is this the one... Given the diagnosis, was there ever a sense of, is this the surgery that's going to make things okay? Or did you sure. sort of always know there was going to be something next? Uh, you just never know. You hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you wish that, you hope and wish that the tumor doesn't grow anymore. Uh, but unfortunately, it started impacting her, her balance. Uh, she... Because do these mostly uh, these are these ha- these tumors happen all over the body, not That's just right. in the brain. They happen all over the body. That's right. Okay. And at one point, it was rapidly growing. Okay. Uh, started, you know, impacting her balance, which means that she just couldn't walk anymore. Uh, and one of her surgery impacted her ability to smell, so she couldn't smell anymore. So she mm-hmm. stopped enjoying the food that. She used to enjoy, and which makes me really sad, you know, yeah. thinking about it. You know, I'm in the food industry, food business, and, right. you know, and you senses, s- the, yeah. the seeing and everything just impacts so much. And she wasn't able to enjoy that. Uh, you know, her, her vision, start, she started losing her vision. Okay. Uh, and those are all aftermaths of having these surgeries. And these are surgeries that... Uh, puts you in a cross line. Uh, do you do you take do you not do surgery and just wait for the time to come, right. or do you do the surgery hoping that you know it positive it will make a positive impact. impact? Yeah. So you know it's just and she has the final decision. My sister right. had the final decision, right. right? How were those conversations in your family? Because I think you're speaking to something that so many of our listeners are gonna be nodding their head while they're listening to you. Yeah, that journey of you're having to make the kind of most ridiculous choices that you never thought you would have to make, and worrying literally. And this isn't should I turn left or right? This is could this be life or death? So yeah, how did your family? come together or not? How did you balance your maybe wishes as her big brother versus yeah. her wishes as the patient? Yeah. Um, those moments are definitely hard. Yeah. But it's th- it's it's those moments where you don't blame, yeah. you know, anybody or anything else uh, afterwards. Yeah. So my mom and I actually, you know, it's normal, I think. I'm sorry. But Please don't apologize. I think it's normal for any mothers to say, I'm the one to blame for, for this situation. And I've, I've seen her go, go through those moments. Also, as a brother, yeah. what could I have done, right? Like, could I have done something? Uh, did should I not? I spoke up and well, pressured her in one way or the other? No, just like doing my part and saying... Sh- sh- should we have done more research? Mm. Should I have said no to that surgery? You know, yeah. uh, but 
as a family, we've decided that we won't do that. Yeah. We would just support each other and love each other no matter, you know, yeah. the, the outcome. Yeah. And I think that we've done a great job. Um, and every time, you know, when things happen like that, uh, we got closer due I to imagine, that. I imagine. Yeah. Because you're not talking about this once or twice. This was something that went on for a decade. Yeah. Is that right? Ten years. For ten years. That's and right. and how many surgical? I mean, how many of these kind of decisions were you having over the course of ten years? We had about four. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Four decisions. Four. Even the last surgery that she had, even you know, it was a hard decision. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that with me and with our listeners. I think um, you touched on something I think that's really important. I mean, a couple of things. One, of course, is just how do different, even though you're a family, each of you show up as your own individuals with your own beliefs and your own ways of communicating. And our communication styles get really under pressure in a situation, you know, where it's difficult. Um, And so I think that's something for us to all remember is that setting aside that judgment that you talked about, which is like we're all showing up trying to do the best we can in a really completely insane situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think you also talked about something um, I just want to sort of highlight, which is I think there's often so much judgment. There's so much blame and would have, would I have, could I have, should I have. I know I certainly have that. Um, for the loss of my husband, who was misdiagnosed for a year. And I, yeah. for till this day, it's been eight years, sometimes wonder, did I not, you know, yell enough loud at the doctor? Did I not right. insist so on tough. a thing? It's so tough. Yeah. And I think um, I can imagine, for me, I sometimes try to hear Eric's words and what he would be saying to me when I'm beating myself up to that. I don't know if you ever sort of channel Michelle's voice when those tough moments are coming. Uh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, she She's pretty much my rock and the foundation in, in the way that uh, I try to live my life, but also the way that I run and, and operate my business today. And, you know, because of her, uh, the way that, that, that I empathize with people or uh, sympathize is largely due to uh, what we went through as a family, what she's gone through, and I was just observing. We had various visits to the hospital, and when I just see, you know, today, when I see people with disability out there in a public space, yeah, I, I, I immediately feel it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's just because I got, we went through it. Yeah. yeah. So that's something... I often ask people, I asked a young man who um, I was interviewing whose loss was actually around a, a, a tragic accident that he had, and he lost the ability to walk. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, when we have these sort of trauma, when we have these losses in our lives, I think there are two ways we can think about who we become in the after. You yeah. know, there's sort of the before and the after, I think. Right. about. And for some ways, we think about ourselves as we just become more entrenched in who we always were. So we sort of like, I call it like grounding, or we sort of root down to our true selves. And for some people, those moments actually really cause kind of a 
sea change, like a real shift in the ways in which they view the world, how they treat people. Yeah. And some are a mix of, of both. Do you have a sense of like, was the experience of watching your sister go through what she did and losing her help you kind of just ground down more into the J that you think you always were? Or did it really shift kind of your approach, If, for instance, the empathy or the sympathy? How do you see that experience shaping you? Absolutely. Uh, I'm a different person today because of her. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what she's told me uh, at a young age, hey, you know, when, when, when I was building, I started my business t- 10 years ago, and there are moments where... Uh, you know, it would get into my head uh, with all the publicity, which now I think it's like, you know, it's just part of the business that helps the business. But, you know, when I was younger, I yeah. felt like, oh, it's me who's getting it. So every time that would happen, the first thing that my, my <laughs> sister is like, uh, you know, I don't know if I can curse here, yes, but, you. Yes, you can. Uh, the name of the podcast is Brief as a Sneaky Bitch. So you can definitely curse. Yeah, it's like, you know, like... You know, she would use various words you to say. Word. If you wanted to you quote know. Michelle, you can. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just say, hey, like, you know, like pretty much like, hey, it comes and goes, you know, but yeah. uh, you, need to, you need to stay. You need you to need chill to the fuck out. Like, calm yeah. down. Yeah. You're not. So, so oh, little thing. sisters, keeping she, you real. amazing, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Little sisters are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> They are, and it sounds like your connection and bond was close, and it sounds like watching what she went through, had she still been alive, she would have always been, excuse me, if she still was alive, she would be tempering your personality because she'd be keeping you in check and also being your cheerleader, I'm sure, but also supporting you. But because of her loss, she's she's still with you because she's teaching you every day. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I feel, I don't know if... You know, this is the right way or wrong way to think about the things, but I sort of have this obligation of of uh, making her proud, mm. right? Yeah. Um, I want to make her proud. Uh, I remember the things that she's told me. It's like, Jay, live your dream and do your best, and I, you know, I'm so proud of you, and I want to keep keep making her proud. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that show up for you in your life when you think about as you are on this journey and the lessons that Michelle imparted in in you and you want to make her proud? How does that show up in in your in your marriage, in in the way in which you run your business, in your in the existing relationships you have, in the time you spend? Can you yeah. give me some examples of how you think it's sort of shaped how yeah. to show up in the world? Uh, for me, it's gratitude, uh, just being thankful for the simple things in life, okay. uh, which is hard to do. Uh, we're, when, we're sort of trained to say, great, what's next? That's right. Uh, what's next? What's the next big thing? Like, yeah. what's the next trend? Yeah. Uh, why is, you know, why is, why am I in this situation? You know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I'm a very competitive person. Okay. Um, so, and which is great that like I was inspired by other people who are doing great, and I want to know like how can I be that great too? Right. Um, it serves a purpose that kind of competitive spirit, and yeah, it can go wrong. That's real right. Quick. That's right. It can go wrong real quick. Uh, 
after my my sister passed away, uh, I started, you know, was being thankful for the things that I had. Like I would wake up in the morning and I said, "Oh, I can see. I'm very thankful." And it was just it was not natural for me. It was more of a practice for me. Yeah. So yeah. I practiced myself to say, "Oh, like I could." Drink water, and then I would consciously think about and and try to be in tuned with like how the water is going down, mm. and that was a practice for me, and I just needed to practice to practice the gratitude and simple things. Like, oh, I get to walk. Oh, I get to wake up and see my wife. Yeah. Oh, like my dog is here. Oh, look at the view that I have. Like. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get used to it. Right. And then you, you're not thankful for the things that you have. Yeah. And I started practicing that. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a good word. I, I just really want to emphasize that you said that practice, because I think we often think when people think about um, having an attitude of gratitude, as some people call it, or a meditation practice or a daily, mm-hmm. I call them daily invitations, which I share um, yeah. through Reimagining Grief. I think we think we are somehow naturally supposed to just come to that. Mm. But our but our culture and our world means we always have to pay the next bill, show up at the job, do the next thing, go, go, go. And so I think your invitation to all of us that it, it, it took you practice. It still takes you practice, I imagine. Absolutely. Have you found kind of practical ways to incorporate it into your life, or has it evolved over this last few years, or yeah, what does that look like for you? I think... Uh, don't know if it has evolved. It's fairly new for me, right? Okay. Yeah. My sister passed away last year in March. Mm-hmm. Um, the Austin Fit, like that was for me, it was it was a practice. Yeah. Going to the gym was very therapeutic for me. Did you start that kind of regimen and going to the gym while she was still alive but ill, or did that really happen after she passed away? So I was going to the gym. I was going to OTL Fitness prior to it. Okay. Um, and that was... For me, that was just to get out of the office because yeah. I would spend so much time in the at work. So I did that, but I didn't take it so seriously. I knew that it was great for me. Right. Good for your health. Sure, I'm going to the That's gym. Right. Check it off the list. Yeah. Uh, but like, coping with grief, uh, going to the gym was the best solution that I, that I had. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a very internal person. I think internally, and my wife, she does a great job. I'm getting it out of me all the time. <laughs> As wives do. Yeah. We're good at that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, going to the gym for me that, that hour was, like, taking everything out. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I would work out to the point of, like, I just couldn't breathe anymore. And I was... In a way, sort of in a way, I wanted to relate to my sister and and thinking, like, "Ah, that's probably what she felt, like she can't breathe, right? She has no control. Um, And I think in a way I wanted to feel that. And when I worked out and when I had those moments, like I would tear up, but that was just therapeutic for me. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I think when you and I talked the other day, I said I, I did the same thing. I had I had I had been an exerciser myself before. Actually, my husband and I used to run half marathons together. 
I mean, he was faster than me, but he was nice and he would slow down and run with me because yeah. that's the kind of guy Eric was. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you, I think I was previous going to the gym just to, you know, just go in the gym, work out, maybe for vanity reasons, sure. maybe for to get out of the office. Yeah. Um, and two days after Eric passed in my arms, my best friend called me up and said, you want to go? And I said, yeah. And I literally stood in the gym, like, bawling, crying, but lifting weights. And it was so therapeutic. It was, and I think to your point, you know, Jay, it was, especially for, I mean, I'm an, I'm an extrovert and I like to talk, but at that point in my time, I didn't want anyone talking to me and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And so I can imagine for you, who's already maybe an introvert and not somebody who processes out loud, the gym is sort of a perfect place because the etiquette is don't talk. <laughs> right? <laughs> like work out. If you can talk, you're not working out hard enough. Right? right? You need to like yeah. kick it up a couple of that's notches. Right. So I think that's really incredible for you to have found it's OTL fitness, as yeah. you said, found that environment mm-hmm. and then found that as a coping mechanism. Have you I know we when we talked Austin Fit Magazine um, approached you to sort of talk about your fitness journey, but also allowed you to sort of share the story of losing your sister. I wonder, um, the reason I ask that is I've been wondering a lot lately as I've been listening and reading and consuming more about grief in in our culture here here in the U.S. is you don't hear a lot of voices of men talking about grief. Um, at all, whether it's a sister, as in your case, or even a a wife. And definitely, I don't think we hear it from people who are successful entrepreneurs like you are, you know, because there takes, in my opinion, there's a lot of vulnerability that has to happen there. And so I was really intrigued about your willingness to do that. And I don't mean to make sort of generalizations, but just that's what I've come consumed as I've been reading. Like Sheryl Sandberg lost her husband and wrote a book about it and talks about it all the time. But Mm -hmm. I imagine there's a million CEOs out there who have lost somebody, lost a wife, Mm -hmm. and you don't hear them telling that story. So what made you feel like, both with the Austin Fit Magazine and now this, that you felt like this was an important story for you to tell, particularly maybe from, you know, being a man in this culture and successful? Yeah. For some reason, I don't see the men and the women. Yeah, I just yeah. don't see it. Uh, yeah. Just for me, um, it's uh, it's not about me. Uh, it's more about uh, uh, like why I do it. Yeah, yeah. And I do it because. I feel like what I'm hearing is there's just so much lack of resources when it comes to NF2. So I feel like if I talk about it more, yeah, uh, it'll, the words will get out there more. Yeah. And if I'm giving it a platform to talk about it, uh, you know, it's better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is one of those ways that you're showing up and honoring your sister. Yeah. Like you talked about before and maybe making her proud that you're using your platform to kind of raise awareness. Uh, absolutely. And through this process, uh, I've learned that there are a lot more people that are grieving too. They lost, like you, yeah. you lost your husband. Yeah. Uh, we would have never connected if I didn't come out and share the story. Right. 
Uh, Isn't that funny how it's a weird thing, the way in which grief isolates us from other people, but at the same time, sometimes grief is actually what brings people together, too. Absolutely. And I've been hearing this from my friends. Uh, And I'm hearing that it inspired, the story inspired them, too. So it's just bigger than... it's just bigger, bigger than, than me. Yeah. Um, so that's why I share. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Another way I wonder how your experience and your journey is showing up in your life is how is it showing up in your role as CEO and founder when you yeah. you know you must be responsible for how many employees across your stores? We have about 150 employees in Austin today. Okay, yeah, that's a lot. So 150 employees who have been working for you at some point from the beginning through now. So you've <clears> been had the businesses for the last ten, seven years? Sorry. Ten years. Ten years, yeah, we just go- said. Yeah. We're about to celebrate 10-year anniversary yeah. of Cilantro. Yeah. How has this experience, because so it really almost the entire time you've been growing this business was kind of the entire time you were watching Michelle yeah. on her journey. That's right. So how has that journey, your personal journey, shown up in the way in which you are running your business, do you think? How might you think about that? Um, I get emotional about this, too, but I get an incredible support from, from my team. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, when situations like this happen in, through the 10 years that I've run it, my sister had NF2. Yeah. And she's gone through surgery, multiple surgeries. Every time that I had to leave work, yeah. you know, my team would say, don't worry about it. We got it. Yeah. And that's special. So special. And every time I would go away, I would learn something that, oh, like this business doesn't run because of me. It's bigger than me, yeah, and yeah. I need to trust my people more and more. Give them more, you know, responsibility, responsibilities, and, and trust them uh, that they will run the business uh, as if it's their their own. And it's incredible. What and a every gift t- in a way. It's, it's yeah, like I. It's a gift in a way that people would step up and say, you know, this cilantro is just as important to me as it is for you. And every time I would come back, something would happen. It would get better. Like, they would find better systems to operate because I wasn't like, there. Jay got, out of, Jay got out of the way. We figured out some new processes. That's right. right? And that's an But how rewarding process. cycle for you then to know, like, I can walk away. People have my back. Yeah. I can trust them. And they're going to reward me with that trust by keeping not only keeping the business going, but maybe improving it in some way. And they they absolutely helped me uh, to become a visionary of our brand. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Um, they helped me see what I was good at and what, what I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like maybe a little bit like your sister who reminded you what you were good at and what you were. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So... And do you think that's so what you're what you got out of that was that being a visionary for the brand was kind of the thing that you were good at? Yeah. Yeah. From the start. And, you know, for me, I thought I was a great operator. Uh, clearly, I wasn't. <laughs> um, you know, I thought I was a great manager and I wasn't. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, when they helped me to find my clear role, um, I think I started to thrive more and be happier uh, at at work and not burn out because they allow me to do the things that I love doing. You know, you speak of something so beautiful, I think, as a life lesson, but of course as a business lesson too, which is that 
couple of things there. There's that relationship building around trust, but there's also the beauty that comes from positive communications that allow you to figure out what to let go of. Sure. Because it's hard, especially you're thinking in your head, I'm CEO and founder, so I have to be magic at all things, I imagine. Oh, right? But you <laughs> yeah. think that. But in life, we do that, too. We show up in our jobs. We show up in our families thinking we have to be sort of expert. And if you can be in a dialogue with people in your life, and for, in this case, it was your team, yeah. who help kindly invite you to think, this, you know, what are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? What piece of this do you thrive on? What do you feel you're good at? And can give you that feedback there's a lot more space and grace to be able to let go of the things that you don't right. do anymore. It's, you know, it's the vulnerability, right? Uh, right. Like that's the right word. I think that is the right word. Yeah. yeah. And you know, every time I, I stepped away, I was vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with my team. Yeah. Was and it hard that first time oh, to let go of so the, hard. close it off, like shut it down? They said, you got it in your mind. You're like, okay, okay. But really, I need right. to check my email 12,000 times. That's and right. And call, hey, what's going on? Why, why is this? Oh, I want to change it without even knowing. It's just all my pride, you know, talking. And I, once I let go and became vulnerable with my, my team, yeah. that, that totally changed the, 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 you know, the outlook of, of how we should run our company. And the dynamic. Yeah. And probably allowed you to be so much more present with your family and your sister. Yeah. you were able to kind of really that's right not just physically check out but sort of mentally check out right was there one particular incident or moment or something somebody on your team said that really allowed you to say like okay I can I yeah. can back away I can let go now yeah I think I'm lucky with uh, p- people I have today I, I have two partners uh, Mike Hong and Ryan Simigese, and they would not shy away from telling me what I need to hear. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tough love. Tough love sometimes. Love. Brotherly love sometimes. Uh, they would just speak their mind, speak their hearts with me. Yeah. And that's just such a great impact because that allowed other people to do the same. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, and... You guys were modeling really for your 150 employees what it looks like to have a work-life balance, how to navigate and yeah. find your way, how to find your strengths in work, right. how to be vulnerable and what right. that looks like. Yeah, sometimes it's an argument, and yeah. and we, we embrace that. Yeah, right. We embrace the argument. So. I think that's such a good point because I think sometimes, actually, this is so interesting. My mom just texted me this morning mm-hmm. because I posted something recently on reimagining grief about being authentic. And yeah. she said, does that always mean being nice? Uh-huh. And I said, no, authenticity doesn't always mean right. nice and neither does vulnerability. But right. what it means is holding that sacred space for the intention and for the relationship and being honest, but without being cruel. Right. You know, it's like, what is the end goal of this communication? Yeah. The intention is the right word. The intention, right. As long as we have good intentions for each other. Right. uh, We we can't hurt each other. Yeah. Right. So, so you talked about the ways that going through this experience at work changed you and your experience of work and how you saw your employees in life. Have you seen any stories or resonance among your employees that watching you go through this has allowed them to feel more comfortable, I don't know, coming up to their manager to say, hey, I've got this thing going on, or has it changed sort of either the culture or the policies or practices yeah. of how you run your business? Yeah. Um if for us, we have core values, and one of the core values is being thankful, okay. being grateful, um, and 
you know, core values are just words until yeah. I think the, the head of the organi uh, organization starts living them. Yeah. And I think I've been showing them a lot more in the past past year. Yeah. And I'm seeing more and more for the result because I've been practicing more and more. Uh, before, you know, running a business is tough. Anybody, yeah. Yeah. for you and I, there's challenging moments, and it's a lot of roller coaster rides. Yeah. And, uh, but I, you know, so that's why in all midst of that, like, yeah. we, we keep what's important for us is just being grateful for today. Yeah. And that always kind of puts us back to this, like, what's the worst thing? It's such a recentering. <laughs> right. It's yeah. such a recentering <laughs> exercise. Yeah, it is. So you think your sense, um, if I was to bump into one of your employees or your teammates today, yeah. is that you sort of living out your core values. And to your point, every company and nonprofit out there has a list of core values on their website or something, right? Yeah. But to your point, you really living into them on a day-to-day -day basis and showing up at work with that has really had a ripple effect on the folks that's around you. I hope so. Yeah. And the reason I say I hope so is because, um, you know, I try. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I know I'm not perfect. And so... This comes up on every interview I do. People yeah. tell, try to tell me something they've learned, and then they go, I'm not perfect. And then I go, oh, man, you're bursting our bubble. That you're not perfect. Welcome to, you know, <laughs> the human race. Yeah. Welcome to the club of the yeah. rest of us who are a work in progress. We're on a journey. Yeah. Not just the grief journey, but... Right. We're on a journey. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I hope, though, our staff can say, yeah, I mean, Jay's, Jay tries his best, and he's a, he's a great guy, and he comes in here with a smile, leaves, leaves the stores with a smile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that has to do with that practice that you talked about, which was really showing up every day with gratitude Yeah. and having sort of perspective on what matters. Right. I mean, you know, one time... Ryan, uh, I, I tell this story to, to our staff a lot, but uh, I, you know, I could find a million things of what's not going right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at any given time. Yeah. You, you tell me what's wrong with, you know, yeah. our restaurant, I can tell you everything once right. I walk into the store why this is not right. Um, Ryan told me, hey, you know, our guys fear you because they think that you're going to come in and... Give them a list of... Things, what's not going right. Mm -hmm. And I, at that moment, I started, again, like practicing, oh, I'm going to go in there and, and look at what's right. being right and list all the things that are being right. Yeah. And I'll still see the things that are being right. wrong, yeah. but I'll share what's done being right. Yeah. And I'll share on the side yeah. what are the things that we need to work on. Yeah. So, uh, again, it's That's that brotherly love, that tough love, it <laughs> sounds practice. like, from Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, so is Mike. He does the same thing with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a gift when we have people in our life like that who, again, you can say, are coming from a place of intention. Yep. It's not just all nice and sunshine and roses. Right. But it's when it's coming from a place of intention because what they want is what's best for you. Yeah. And they want what's best for, you know, for the team and the yeah. company. That's right. Yeah. And when we start with 
hearing the news of what we're doing right, we're so much more open to, you know, yeah. critical feedback. All of us are. That's right. Yeah. So that's the impact on them. And then I think this resonates back to what you said before. But if that's the approach you're taking, mm-hmm. I can imagine there's almost a different physical like your own experience of your life is different. If you're going into the store, making yourself look for what's right. I mean, just the physiological response, you know, the psychological response is sure. so different, right? That's right. You go in there with happiness. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I was just talking yeah. with a colleague the other day about like, we just can't even keep track of or understand how much our bodies respond before our sort of intellectual brain even show up. And so when yeah. we can sort of reframe Mm-hmm. ourselves to show up in that different way. Right. Um, speaking of reframing, I think one of the questions I'd love to talk with you about, um, I so appreciate your vulnerability and, and tears and laughter and all the spectrum and range of emotions that you've shared today, because I think that's one of the untold stories about grief is that um, we actually have this whole range of experience of emotions that we go through all the time. Yeah. And for, we do a lot of shooting on ourselves. And then the culture sort of does a lot of shooting on us. Like, okay, you should be sad from, you know, day zero to day three. Right. And then you should be fine. And then when they see you smiling one day or laughing one day or having a good day, you're, you're self-included. I mean, I will say for myself included, yeah. other people do one of two things. They sort of judge you like, why are they laughing already? This bad thing happened. Or they go, oh, whew. Jay's over it. Yeah. He's smiling again. Mm. Everybody, it's okay. Let's go. You know, everything's back to normal. Mm. So how has that been for you being able to watch yourself kind of have those emotional, I don't even want to call them ups and downs because I don't think of sad as bad and happy as good, but yeah. have the emotional... I wish I had a great word for this, but sort of the flexibility or the kind of waves that happen. How has that been for you? Have you been able to be kind to yourself when you've had those fluctuations? Um, I think I was uncomfortable before, but, uh, you know, there's a rush of emotions that happens uh, just all of a sudden. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. I all of a sudden, if I'm thinking about intentionally thinking about my sister, yeah. uh, I can control my emotions. Yeah. But sometimes it just comes. Yeah. It's like a rush of wave. Yeah. And you can't control but to, to cry. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I would stop crying and then walk into the next place, right. next, yeah. ne- next meeting. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I embrace it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, I think it's special. For me, I find sometimes those... That's kind of where the sneaky bitch of the title comes in. That's what yeah. I call those waves where it's not the things necessarily that you think are going to bring it up, like you're intentionally thinking about them mm-hmm. or it's the anniversary or, you know, something. It's a smell or a song or a yeah. favorite restaurant or a something. That's right. Or it's even just your birthday or their birthday and you didn't think that was going to really do anything oh, yeah. and it comes and, you know, oh, yeah. knocks you off your ass, as I yeah, like yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, so I think those are kind of the ways in which we have to kind of have grace and patience for ourselves and each other. I agree. Right? Yes. But I I don't think we, I mean, that's when I think about about my learning. I don't think we knew that. We don't learn that in our culture, that it can come in, you know, in these little sneaky ways. And uh-huh. that's part of what I'm trying to air out here. Like, yeah. that's okay. I'm eight years out, and I still have them. So, and I'm guessing in right. 30 years or 50 years, if I get to live that long, you know, I'm still going to have them. For me, Mm -hmm. those sneaky moments, as sometimes full of emotion as they are and heartache, 
I actually welcome them sometimes, and I wonder if you ever have this experience too, because it's sometimes when I feel the closest to Eric, Mm. because sometimes as the years have gone on, I can go longer and longer throughout my day, being busy with my day, doing whatever, raising our daughter, Mm -hmm. and not think about him. Mm -hmm. And then when those moments come as sometimes heartache and heartbreak as they are, Mm -hmm. you know, because I smelled his cologne or whatever, saw somebody who looked like him, I actually get to actually, it's like I get to be with him in a way in that moment. Do you ever have a sense of like that feeling of feeling closeness to Michelle, even in the saddest of moments? Yeah, I shared this with... Uh, my wife, uh, while I was pre- preparing for a presentation for, for my team, okay. and I said, I told her, you know, I was, I was preparing for, for this with my team, you know, I cried because I thought about my sister. Mm. And I said, oh, I think that's a great sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So you're welcoming them. Yeah. Like that, uh, uh, you know, I, I welcome them too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we get to welcome. It's a way in which I think, our, because this is how I think about for me, for, for my grief journey, is that Eric is coming with me till I take my last breath. And so in those moments where he shows up, sometimes he makes me laugh when I have a memory and sometimes he makes me cry. Yeah. Or sometimes my daughter does something that I'm like, oh, that looks like your dad, <laughs> you know, or whatever. It's yeah. But it's a way in which Eric gets to come with me sure. sort of in and not just in my memory. Um, I was reading something today about somebody talked about seeing something instead of bringing the person back in your memory, like maybe you were calling a time that Michelle gave you heck for letting your ego get too big or whatever those stories are. Yeah. It's actually the ways in which we can see our loved one in an object or in an attribute of somebody. So is it in a flower that we saw or is it in somebody's laughter or is it in our approach of gratitude. Yeah. And that's how we get to carry them forward. Yeah. Absolutely. The poem I was referring to in my conversation with Jay was On the Death of the Beloved by one of my favorite poets, John O'Donohue. The passage goes like this. Let us not look for you only in memory, where we would grow lonely without you. You would want us to find you in presence, Beside us when beauty brightens, when kindness glows, and music echoes eternal tones. When orchids brighten the earth, darkest winter has turned to spring. May this dark grief flower with hope in every heart that loves you. How do you think, how have you been able to navigate with your wife or with others, um, Keeping Michelle with you, keeping her story going, keeping her alive. How how has that been for you? Yeah, um, it, it's. I I'm hesitant here because I, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur and I like to move forward yeah. at all times. Yeah. And I tend to do that too. Yeah. Where it's like, what's what's gonna what's next? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think about future a lot. Yeah. Right. What's what does it look like ten years from today? Uh, what does it look like twenty years from today? How do I break it down so that I can like achieve Take the vision, uh, my vision of ten year, twenty year visions? Um, so I think about in the future tense a lot than yeah. 
thinking about the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, my mom is a great uh, center as well. Okay. Um, you know, her and I talk a lot. Yeah. And uh, we talk about Michelle a lot. Yeah. We, we take trips together to make sure in memory of my sister. Awesome. Uh, but also my wife encourages me to, to go back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's the one who, who pulls. If I'm always pushing, she's the one who pulls to make sure that I do not forget those moments because yeah. they're special moments. Yeah. Uh, that, that I, you know, that I build the future based on what I've learned. Right. And what, what, what's in the past. So in things like how, like, charity, you know, visioning about this charity around my sister. Yeah. Yeah. It has come about recently and... Like that was such an exciting moment for us. Yeah, yeah. One one of the ways in which you can bring Michelle forward with you into the Absolutely. future. Absolutely. You know, as you were first describing that sort of story of your entrepreneurial mind, which is forward, forward, yeah. you know, more, better, faster, you know, farther, <laughs> yeah. 10-year, 20-year plan. Yeah. And then the sort of traditional way in which we think about the practice of grief, which is memory and remembering, yes. et cetera. What I thought was quite beautiful at the end, and I was sort of hoping you'd get there, so thanks for getting there, because mm-hmm. this is how I think about it. Mm. I don't think they're an either and, either or. I think that's exactly, and, and the charity in a way is that you're talking about might be one of the ways in which we find ways to weave those memories and those important experiences and show up. Because even in your entrepreneurial visioning of your 10-year, 20-year plan, mm-hmm. Michelle's there. She's in your ear like, okay, well, don't be thinking you're having a TV show, dude, because sure. I know you're, or whatever, you know, sure, whatever, absolutely. whatever hell she'd be giving you and keeping yeah. you in check. Those are the ways in which I think we can bring those memories and still be forward-facing. Being Telling the stories of our loved ones and bringing them along with this isn't about being stuck in our grief or not having forward momentum, mm. to your point. That's right. Right? Absolutely. It's just how do you integrate yes. them into your forward. Yeah. Like when you are thinking about future, does it move your heart? Yeah. Right? Because that's the reminder of losing someone is that's right. at the end of the day. Right. If you don't, if that's not at the root of how you're moving forward, then why are you spending your time doing that? That's right. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, I think so much for taking so much time to talk with me today. Is there anything that you would want our listeners to think about if they're sitting by the bedside of a loved one or if they're maybe a year and a half out that you are, that you feel like you wish you would have known you know, before your sister passed or maybe even before the diagnosis, anything mm. you want? Uh, live in the moment. That's so important. Live in the moment. Yeah. I love that. Jay, thanks so much for coming on Grief as a Sneaky Bitch today. Thank was, you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. I really appreciate oh, it. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everyone, I think Jay summed it up beautifully. You know what to do next. In his words, live in the now. Thanks to Jay Kim, founder and CEO of Cilantro Barbecue, for his vulnerability and authenticity and honesty. Thank you for listening in on our conversation today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You won't want to miss the next episode of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefoffer. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.